friends. I've said it before, but this series of interviews with coaches from across the U.S. has truly been one of the highlights of my time as a coach in forensics. I have loved every interview, and today is no exception. In fact, today is one of my favorites. Jacqueline Young is the coach at Blue Springs High School in Blue Springs, Missouri. She is an award-winning interp coach who has ushered dozens of students to success at the national level. I hear from listeners all the time about things they want to know more about, and one question I get all the time is, how do I find pieces for my kids? Well, I asked Jackie, and she shares her process. I also just want to share how I felt when this conversation was over. I felt lighter after speaking with Jackie. She lives for this activity, but she knows that success is relative. It takes time, and it really doesn't matter as much as we think it does. We provide a place for students to express themselves, and that's the real success. Thank you, Jackie, for reminding me of that. Here's my conversation with Jacqueline Young. So I, uh, I would love to just get to know a little bit more about you. I know your reputation, um, and certainly you were one of the first people who came to mind when we wanted to chat with somebody who has uh, the more of the interp side of forensics, because we've been talking to a lot of very successful coaches who are more in the world of debate. Um, and so we, we just wanted to chat with you about interp and, and how you go about putting together your pieces But before all of that, we really just kind of want to find out, you know, what's your background? Where did you come from? And what is your forensics story? How did you come to be involved and how did you end up coaching? Well, uh, it started a few years ago. I I would say 39 to be exact. (laughs) And uh, when I was in high school, we did not have a forensic program. And so when I student taught many years ago uh, in the city of Kansas City, I was I student taught with a lady in the city of Kansas City who actually had a program, even hosted a tournament. And so in college, when I was in college, I went to the University of Missouri. They had one debate class, the one semester that I was supposed to take it. They didn't offer it. Mm. So my experience with actually seeing competition happened when I student taught. My high school in Kansas City could not afford to have a forensic and debate program. So it was an urban school, and that's just the way life was back then. So my experiences as far as competition have yet to begin because everything that I've learned, I've learned from watching the best. And from experience, I've never competed one round wow. myself. Do you have any background in theater or as a uh, performer? Yes. My degree is from the University of Missouri uh, in Columbia, Missouri. And I have what's called a speech and theater education degree. Okay. I can teach grades 7 through 12. And that is, but as far as speech and debate, uh, like I said at MU, the one semester when we were to take supposed to take the class, they didn't offer it. And then I student taught the next semester. Hmm. So how do you end up as, uh, did you eventually take over the program you assistant coached or how did you end up getting the job you have now? And where are you coaching now? Well, uh, 
when I started to teach, I ended up being a substitute. It's called a year-long sub for a program at another high school in Kansas City. And I really, it was like trial and error. I was the speech department. I did a show. I think I went to like 25 tournaments. I think I had one debate team and a few interpreters. It was probably a team of like 10. It was at a high school in Kansas City called Van Horn High School. And so that is where Georgia Brady, who uh, is a legendary coach and is now retired, saw me. And when an opening came for a position here in Blue Springs, she said, well, Jackie knows how to coach debate. Ha ha. And so uh, and the rest is history. I've been at Blue Springs High School since 1983. Wow. And I was her one of her assistants for quite a few years. And so I would travel to tournaments for many years, went to national tournaments with her. And there were a few interpreters that I would have the opportunity to work with. But my program itself started my ninth year in, which would have been 1992. So do you coach all across the forensics spectrum, debate, interp, speech, or do you have a focus? Uh, I don't coach the debate side. Because uh, when our sister school opened, the debate coach moved to the south side and we hired someone else. Okay. So here at Blue Springs, I've never actually coached debate. So my only experience with coaching debate uh, was basically when I was coaching at, you know, in the very beginning. Me neither. But I do all the interps. Yeah. In, in Wisconsin here, we have actually two separate seasons. So there's a debate team and then there's a forensics team and the two don't really mix. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the Kansas side. Yeah. Here, you know, in this area. So tell me a little bit more about the makeup of your team. How many students do you have? Do you actively recruit or is it its own recruiting machine at this point? Yes. Uh, To answer the first question, we have around 140 students on our team between the two sides, (laughs) between the debaters, between 130, 140 students. Between the debate side and the forensic side. Holy crap. Forensics uh, all day long. And uh, I teach uh, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Our freshmen are not, at least currently, on this campus. They're at a freshman center. So they travel over at the end of the day for uh, both the debate coach and myself to teach them. Uh, and then it's, I mean, the team size varies, obviously. As far as what I coach, I coach drama, humor, duo, duet, prose, poetry, storytelling, poi, and info. Okay. All of those I am familiar with, except what is the difference between duo and duet? Okay. Duet is like a scene done where you use two tables and a chair, a table and two chairs, and you can actually look at each other. So it's like a little scene from a play. But only More two so people. than the way that we do duo, where you know the offstage focus and things of that nature. Got it. It's a state event mm-hmm. in Missouri. There are some tournaments uh, in the southern part of the state that do duet, but because it's still a state event, we still coach it. But very few. Sc- I'm in the you know the northwest part of the state, so we don't in this area don't offer duet, but. We have to do it because it's a state event. So we're getting to that time of year mm-hmm. when we actually do it. So is forensics like the cool thing to do at Blue Springs? Is it what, sir? Is it like the cool thing to do at Blue Springs? 
No. No. <laughs> Even with 140 kids and the she success would you've had. She that I would answer it so adamantly. Uh, <laughs> it is more so, uh, we're kind of in the fine arts part of the school. We have a campus setting. And so because of that, uh, the building I'm even in is like an addition, even though it's 20 years old. Uh, there is instrumental music, vocal music, and us okay. in this part of the building. So I teach a basic speech theater class. And some of those students obviously haven't ever been to this part of the campus because they're not into fine arts. The art department's in the main part of the building, but, you know, the performance arts are not. And no, you would think with a team that size, but there are people that don't know us, that don't know what we do, that don't know the success of our program, much less on the national level. Mm. So it's like, okay. And then they come in here in my room and they see all these things and they're just amazed at what there is to, you know, of what's going on. Uh, you asked about recruitment. It is funny that you would ask me that because what often happens is that we are constantly recruiting. We're in the middle of recruitment. <laughs> it's three curriculum nights uh, at the different. We've been to the middle school. We've been to the freshman center. And then we just recruited here at the high school all within the last week and a half. Wow. And that so, process taking place now, what does your season look like? Or do you, I mean, I was talking to a coach earlier today who basically said, you know, their forensics and debate season runs so long, they don't even feel like it has a beginning and an end. Do you do you have a beginning and end of the season or is it pretty much something you're working on year round and eventually kids just graduate and stop going to competitions? I think I could just say verbatim to what he's saying. Yeah. And it just really depends. It is. For us, at least, I think it is that way because uh, my students go home in May with a homework assignment mm -hmm. at a very, very minute few will attend a camp. In fact, I host one here at the high school. It is always the week after nationals. And after that, then July comes. I always tell my friends I have one month off and that's the month of July. Mm -hmm. so, and if I'm sending kids to other camps across the country, and I'm making sure that they're ready, that they're mentally ready as well as, you know, they have pieces in mind or at least what you're going to camp for. Uh, then August comes. We start in the middle of August. So I'm usually here preparing the room and the newcomers are coming, you know, that type of thing. Uh, even though students have a homework assignment, it's just like any other assignment. Those that do their homework are better prepared for the season. Our season doesn't actually start until mid-October. And we host the first tournament of our season in this area. Uh, and it doesn't start any early. I mean, there are tournaments that I'd like to take them to in September. But that means, gee, they're going to do their homework in the summer. So, But we're not allowed in the state of Missouri to travel until the second weekend in October. Oh. So, And our invitational season actually ends next weekend. And wow. then we go into, so it runs that, and that's the whole gamut. And it's not like you said, debate one semester and forensics the next. Uh, it's the entire season. It runs that six months. And then we have in our area, I mean, just like sports has a conference tournament. We have a conference tournament in our area. And that is going to be coming up in another couple of weeks. And then our NSDA districts start the first weekend in March. Okay. And we divide ours up where we have dual and debate the first weekend, 
And then all the individual and speaking events are the next weekend. Then we have our state districts <laughs> the weekend after that. So the first three weekends of March are spent going to district tournaments. And then more toward the end of April is when we have our state tournament. Okay. And do those, do those district and state tournaments feed into nationals? Like, no, the is that state how you get your tournament qualifiers? doesn't. At one time it did. Okay. Years ago, and it might have been when I first started coaching. That's how long ago it might have been. They stopped doing that where the person who won state would actually qualify to the national tournament because those people that go to the state tournament, I, I don't know the percentage. It's a high percentage of them are actually NSDA members, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be to go to the state tournament. Right. And so they changed that many, many years ago that it really doesn't feed into that tournament. So how do you determine who goes to nationals? Uh, it is really, it's funny you would ask that. It is really based on how the, their records are. And I don't mean if you've won a tournament, you've gotten the finals. I take every single point that they have acquired. And I had them write it on a piece of paper by tournament and, and I calculate it based on that record and divided by the number of rounds of competition, they've, the number of ballots they've had, basically. And that determines, actually, for me, who goes to the national, I mean, to the NSDA district tournament. Wow. I wasn't planning on asking this, but now that I know you have 140 kids on your team, how? How do you do, how do, you do that? <laughs> How do, you, how do you see 140 kids? I mean, I would assume that you you can't work with all of them all of the time, but I imagine you'd want to see th- them at least once a year. I do. That's 140. I say that I mean both debate and me. I don't mean me mm-hmm. by myself. And so in, in the midst of that, uh, it ends up being a thing where my novice, and that includes my novices as well. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, this year was unusual because normally when second semester comes in, there are like two novice tournaments second semester. And, you know, you would say your strongest novices will come on and continue to go to tournaments. Up until this year, uh, our novice class, my novice classes have only been a semester. And so but next year, finally, they're going to be year long. So things may change, hopefully. But this year, there have been six novice tournaments between all of January and two in February, which has never happened. Every weekend, there's been a novice tournament. So I have novices that are still scheduled to go, and I'm seeing them more often than not. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also, every novice has a varsity mentor. And so between the two of us, we are the ones who are actually, you know, verifying, yes, you are ready to go. No, you need to work on this. Those types of things. And that's really the way we get it done. I will be taking that section of audio to my kid, my kids. The, the idea of a varsity mentor is so important. Yes, they are responsible every week. That's part of their grade is that they are helping someone. And even if you know, and, and even though I match up the varsity and the novices so often, there's going to be a conflict. Sometimes it's personality conflict and I have to change that or Either the varsity doesn't work and the novice wants to work or vice versa. But I always tell my varsity, there's always someone who needs to be helped, you know, and and it doesn't. And they have come to find out that sometimes the most successful can't help other people. Those that sit in those rounds that are often watching other people are a better judge of 
how to create better characters and better line and term than those that are always up there on stage because those people have nothing to lose at this point. So I say always utilize anybody, watch a novice, watch a varsity, whomever may be available for you to watch. Excellent advice. Um, you mentioned the school you went to in high school did not have a speech and debate program. Do they have one now or are they still without? Uh, no, they don't have a program. The school still exists, but I think they've taken a different, you know, they've kind of become a charter school. And the charter schools that are in the Kansas City, Missouri area uh, don't have programs. There is uh, a program called the Urban Debate League. Mm -hmm. And so there are debate programs that really feeder into the urban schools. And it's done through the University of Missouri, Kansas City, the college in the city. But it's there's not an inter program. Mm-hmm. Is solely a debate program. And that's pretty active. I mean, they even travel nationally, those schools that are in the, the Urban Debate League. But there is not a, an interp program in any of the high schools in the city. Okay. Well, I'm glad there's some outlet for those students. Um, so you have had quite a bit of success in your 39 years of coaching. And I know okay. this is always the hardest thing to get forensics coaches to do. But can you please just list some of your successes so our listeners know what you've done. Oh gosh. Don't be humble. This is not the time for it. (laughs) Well, there is a list. (laughs) Uh, Let's see if I can, if I can do the list. Uh, The things that come most to my mind is uh, I have had, I think it's 13 state champions uh, in the state of Missouri, which were of course in the area. They don't understand the national tournament. Right. You know, and all that, that type of thing. What they understand is what you do at state, just like state sports, that kind of thing. So uh, it's funny. I was at a high school last week and I was looking to see how many state champions do they have? Well, <laughs> I have a few more. So but anyway, <laughs> uh, I have 13 state champions. I have no idea how many finalists I've had at the state tournament. It's just, yeah. you know, and someone said to me once that I've had you know, you're going to qualify people to state. Well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, it's, you know, I take it a tournament at a time. Uh, as far as nationals, I think we counted. I think I've had, I've qualified like 83 students to nationals. And I've had, well, I'll start with finalists. I think I've had like 12 finalists. And I've had like 10 or 12 semifinalists at least. Or quarterfinals, I guess we said, you know, the top mm-hmm. 14. And then I've had uh, three champions. And I think it's been like three or four Bama Bowl women, winners. And I don't know, because I didn't realize. You didn't send me that question. No, I didn't, because people never want to answer it. They always look at that and go, uh, I don't really want to brag about it. But you should. I don't know how accurate that is, but that, that's close. So, yeah, so you, you've had some success then, we can say. Just a little bit. Um, for Because people can't see you, I'm just going to describe to our listeners, this wall behind you uh, is just filled with those NSDA plaques. Um, it, it like from desk level, which is where I see, maybe it goes all the way down to the floor, all the way up to the ceiling. That's got to be at least a 10 foot ceiling I'm looking at. Um, so yeah, and it is, it is jam packed full. So you, you have had some success in forensics. 
which is awesome. So what do you, what do you think it is about you that makes you so successful? Have you in your 39 years identified your style or your approach that works? I think what works for me is that uh, you have to like and love what you're doing. It is my passion. I think I go to sleep thinking about students. I wake up thinking about students. The first day of school or within the first week of school, I give the students my phone number. And the reason why I give them their phone number, it's like we say at church, is that you've got to feed people before you can really expose them to the spiritual way of life. Mm -hmm. And I kind of look at that with forensics. I have students, because we have a middle school program, uh, they come in with, and the two middle school programs are totally different from each other. And I know have taught both students in just regular theater classes, but they just teach, you know, just like anybody, their teaching styles are different. And I have found that no matter if they came from that program, or if they just walked in and moved into the area and just found out about forensics, that because of that, we have to look at these students and create this atmosphere for them of where this is a safe place. This is home because for many of them, it is. And I have just looked at the way life is now with these students. And so many of them have other issues within their worlds. And so fortunately, the NSDA is open enough to create for them not only pieces, but an avenue for them to express themselves. And so in creating that atmosphere, it allows them to realize I'm okay. Mm -hmm. The world is shutting and knocking on their door so much, even today, saying, no, you're different and you need to be somewhere else. And I think if more students can understand that this is the atmosphere we're trying to create. Now, a lot of people don't spend the time that I spend. We had this thing called Remind, where I'm always sending them messages and I need you to do this and don't forget to bring that and that type of thing. But I have been to hospitals, I've been to weddings, I've been to baby showers, you know, and all the, I've been to funerals, you know, and all the whole gamut of that experience. And so it is because my alums, when I come back and they come back to see me, that I'm excited. I mean, somebody said sometime, one time, you don't pay the alum to come back and help your children. No, mm. just out of the goodness of their hearts, they make a decision that because of this legacy, they want to come back and help continue that legacy, whatever that is. So, you know, that's, that's really, that's really who I am is that, you know, my passion is this program and it probably is almost time to leave, but I know I'm still here because I still have something else to do. There's still another kid out there that needs to be recruited. And I want to have them in a place as good of a place as I can, that no matter who comes in to take my place when I retire, that, they will be able to be able to stand on their own and do the work that needs to be done. Because I have at this point, I have no idea who that person will be. Right. It's not about me. It's more so about the legacy that's been created here at Blue Springs High School. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to throw you another curveball because I'm just thinking of this question as I, as we are speaking, uh, when you retire, will it be in quotation marks? Will you actually retire or will you still help out with the program? Do you think? It really depends on who it is and what that coach would want me to do. You know, one time when my son was doing college forensics and he was like, well, maybe you want to do college forensics. Well, and since I've sent more students that direction as far as attending college and that type of thing and in college programs, I don't know. That's a different world. College forensics, from what I'm gathering, is a totally different world. The types of material that they choose to do 
and all that. I'm not sure that's me. Mm. I am really, you know, outside of traveling, I I, I don't know what I want to do. Mm. I mean, so that's that's kind of where I am. But uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see. I look forward to finding out. Oh, okay. Ho- hopefully not anytime soon. Oh. I, I I say that because I, you know, I've interviewed Donis Roberts now and, and Greg Stevens and, you know, mm-hmm. people who have quote unquote retired. And there are plenty of coaches in Wisconsin who retire. And then a year later, they're just coaching at another school. You yeah. know, <laughs> they're they're not teaching anymore, but they're still in it. They can't seem to let go. So it's, which yeah. I appreciate because they're my I'm not mentors. not sure if I will let go. Mm-hmm. My family would probably say I need to let go, but <laughs> it's hard when you've done this. Some people can just walk away. I have really good friends who have retired and they have walked away from rents because they have something else to do. Mm. I don't know what else I do at this point. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm not gone. But I'm sure that, you know, when the time comes, it'll speak. Today, in fact, is the day to turn in your letter to retire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter today, you know. All right. All right. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of it, because this is something I'm always looking to other coaches for advice on. How do you find pieces for your students or do you make them find it? And then how do you cut them? Okay, two things happen. As we would say, back in the day, uh, obviously, I have I buy scripts in the spring. And the way that I purchase scripts in the spring is that fortunately, I have a budget that allows me to allow the students to actually go through my play catalogs, because I still use play catalogs. Mm. And they select seven plays. I purchase the three they want me to purchase. Then in the fall, we read the plays to make sure they're appropriate for high school and that they are appropriate for forensics, because some things are meant to actually be done on the theatrical stage. Mm -hmm. So in the process of doing that, uh, then we make choices about what works, what doesn't work. Sometimes they buy pieces for other people. Sometimes they'll have intent of actually buying a piece. That's what I've done for years. Now that there are online sources for people, and then I have know of other people that are writing pieces for students, I will encourage them to use those. But what I have found sometimes, they lose the beauty of actually cutting a piece for themselves. When you go to our district tournament, you've got to take an original script. They have no idea where the environment is, where are you, what's going on, what happened before, you know, all mm-hmm. these types of things. They have no idea. So what it causes them to do, I find, is lose the beauty of the inter. And then when they have to sit down and actually find every single line, you know, or whatever it is that you've added to the piece that's legal, then they tr- they're stumbling. So I'm going back to the beginning. Because right now I have some girls that have a piece that they're trying to decide, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, if you want to go to districts, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to walk into the district tournament with, a, with any type of piece where they've not followed the guidelines that I've always followed. So that's really what we're doing. As far as cutting, I want to see what you've done. And I'll look at, I mean, I don't cut that many pieces. Every once in a while, if you get me cutting a piece with all these people, you're doing good. <laughs> yeah. But I have found that more and more of the pieces that I'm buying, sometimes a novice will get a hold of a piece who doesn't have the depth to create what the writer has written. And I think that's the reason why drama is my favorite, 
because of the value, because the vulnerability that a character is being, you know, is creating in a character. And then drama's changed just like anything, everything else has. You know, it's really become dramedy. Nobody wants to watch just six different people or eight different people watching around just straight drama anymore. Mm-hmm. It's got to be some, there've got to be some lighter moments in it. So, but that's basically, I mean, the way that the cutting slow. And then again, with novices, then I also tell them because a piece is written the way it's written, it's okay for you to manipulate and move some things around because you may have a, that's the value of doing interp to me versus theater is that as long as you don't change the writer's intent, then you can play with the language. You can play with the way that you interpret it because we've seen pieces. I've seen pieces that we have done here in Missouri and gone to the national tournament. And these people have been on stage and they don't do it anything like, you know, it's done here because of the interpretation of, of the presenter. Hmm. So it's, it's fun to see that. Do you, do you have a catalog at this point of, of scripts that you can pull from for new people or do you always make them go through the work of cutting? But they don't know where it is. Hmm. The novices ne- don't know about the drawers because <laughs> in the drawers are all the cuttings that students have done that they won't necessarily find the script on the shelf, but they will find cuttings and not just of dramatic pieces, humors and, and duos, but also I have proses over there and poetries and storytellers, especially like if I say to a student comes in, somebody's not here today. I'll say, here, you need to do this prose tonight. So they're looking crazy, but hey. Yeah, got to have somebody. I hate dropping at tournaments, so I'll stick a piece in the kid's hand and say, "You're getting more points. Just go do the piece." Awesome. Do you have any favorite pieces that you've worked on that come to mind? Right now, we are working on uh, a piece, and I don't even know the name of it because I never remember names. I just remember who does, you know, who has done the piece or who's going to do the piece. Uh, one is about the wife of Houdini. Okay. That we're playing with. Another one is the first wives club. Mm. We're playing with that. And uh and then I have one that's the long walk home. Mm. And we're playing with that cutting. And that's that's just to name a few. Awesome. Don't want to give out too many secrets. Yeah, so. I don't know. Don't do that. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so talk to you've had you said three national champions? Yes. And a, a slew of others in finals. Yes. What kind of work goes into that, both on, on the students' end and on your end? How much time are you spending with them? Uh, we will start what's called nationals prep or district prep. Nationals prep comes after districts. We'll start districts prep probably on Monday. And what that really involves is that I have them actually sit down and I try to find out what is your schedule. Because I can't and I schedule everybody at the same time and give them a calendar. And it is more so what has changed with the pieces that you're choosing to do since the year began. And so that I know specific, I don't want to work on something that's working. Let's work on mm. something that's not working. So I will we will have a meeting initially about my expectations and their expectations. Don't know how long they're supposed to be here. Then I work specifically on every single line. One place I begin is the introduction, because to me, that's the thing I, rem- I forget. And so often, at least my students don't spend enough time on intros. Uh, we're constantly watching the national tapes now that you can do that. 
Now, I purchased all the ones when you used to have to purchase them. But now, you know, you can pay the fee and join the organization and anybody can watch it anytime. In fact, I just walked out in the hall and one of my novices is watching National Taste of AGI. So, you know, that made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> and he is not even on the board to go. The students wait to see me pull the pull the curtain down and then raise the curtain when I show who's actually on that district board. Now, once we do that, then once they're scheduled, then they know that for that time frame, I'm going to be working on the piece. So, and it's probably going to be line by line until I'm comfortable. They have to say it 40 times at night. That may be as far as we get, might be the teaser. Maybe we might get to the teaser in one practice, you know, or we'll work on the intro to make sure that the intro is working for me and that I want to watch it. And that's the reason, the advantage of the national tapes. Compare your, compare yourself. I once had one of my alums say, Okay, I want you to watch these rounds. Watch and see who won it. Now compare what you do to what they do. So until you are comfortable with saying, yeah, look at your climax. Listen to the characters. We do a lot of taping. And at the end of the process, and they evaluate. Because me evaluating, they don't get it when I evaluate it. When they actually see themselves, those two characters sound the same. And now that we're into poi and you have so many genres put together, then we really work on what happens because some people in poi are people who've done prose and poetry. But then the drama shouldn't sound poetic. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah. We're working to clean those things up that are raggedy to me. And that's really where I go with it. And then we, you know, go into the district tournament and hope for the best. Those that survive, and I call the district tournament the tournament of survival. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the same way thing with the national tournament. If you get in your head, as I had a student say that went to the national tournament last year, if you get into your head and you do not and you lose focus of the characters you're creating or whatever it is you're doing, then you're going to succumb to the enemy, I guess is what I would say. But if I can keep them on a level basis, even at our district tournament, I don't have my students sitting in an area with everybody else. I put them in a private area by themselves at that high school because I need them focused on them. I told students yesterday, you need to be selfish now. Don't worry about what they're doing at our sister school or the school that's been beating us all year long in that event or whatever it is. Because always at our district tournament, you would be surprised, but you know, the cream rises. Mm. And I like being a part of that cream. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, okay, I want to make sure I word. That's really what I do. I want to word this next question properly because I, <laughs> when you talk about going line by line, that gives my heart such joy because I am that type of coach as well. Uh-huh. And, but what I struggle with, especially with the younger kids, is when I'm being that exact exacting, the, kind of the light can go out of their eyes sometimes, and I don't want to feel like I'm beating them up, but. Mm-hmm. How do you have a, have you developed a strategy for making sure that the students understand that when you're being that picky or, or that exacting, that that's a good thing? I really think that with a team the size of mine, that until they get to this level and their names get on the board, that they really get the experience of me coaching them. Because I'm so busy, as you say, with bus lists and pre-abs and filling spots for students that can't go 
and all that kind of stuff. That actual coaching doesn't happen that much during the year. Mm. It happens more so with them, I guess, in the way if they get to the point they do. It's with them working with each other. But they realize because I'm having a meeting tomorrow talking about, OK, this is where I want you to be. And I'm not going to be nice. I mean, if you want to call it the mother of hell, that's what it is. Because I want you to understand when you walk in, when you get off that bus to walk into that high school or that tournament, there ought to be a level of confidence that exudes what we're about and what this team is about. There should be no questions about, oh, I forgot. I didn't rewrite my intro. I memorized it on the bus and all those types of things. And I do it not only externally, I mean, internally, but externally. So we talk about what do you look like when you go into a national to a district tournament? You know, that type of thing. And for some of them, they don't get it. I don't normally take the real young ones, but this year I'm going to be doing that. And I want them to understand that this is a privilege and this is not a right. Mm. That as we walk into this, I mean, when I start doing that line by line thing, if I hurt your feelings, good. That's my job. If you break down in tears, that means I've broken you now. So you can understand this. is what If you need to go out. I've had young ones. I'm, not, I'm talking about sophomores, not even freshmen. But I could, But a sophomore comes back to mine who ended up, after we broke her, that she ended up getting 10th that year. Wow. And at the end of her journey, she got second. Wow. You know, when she was a senior. And now she is just blowing people away on the college level. So, you know, she ended up being my strongest student uh, as far as points in this program, never debating one round wow. with over 1500 points. So, you know, when you look at that, then at the end of it, and when those people come back, those alums come back and they tell their stories and, and I do tell their story because there's so many sitting here that now think it's easy because those students struggled and paved the way. And I wanted to say, but what I want you to understand in order for them to get there, they had to go through me. And now it's not going to be an easy road. We're now at that point in the program. So, Oh, I love that. So basically stop worrying about hurting their feelings. It'll be fine. But if their feelings are hurt, there's somebody else that doesn't mind having their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. I've always said I've had students quit. I mean, some really, really good students because of my expectations. But I'm not lowering my expectations because a talented kid feels that they don't want to do it. Then don't do it because I always will have... Somebody else will come hmm. and they may need a little bit more push, but somebody else will come. Those are some of my greatest stories that I've had. I have a feeling I'll need to be replaying that part of our conversation to myself over the next few years. So, And, I, and it's like when you ask me about the numbers of students, I forget. My son doesn't forget, but I forget, you know, about that because those people are gone. And like I was sitting here over Christmas, we had a winter camp. And I was sitting here in the room and I recognized that I had uh, and I was really feeling down because this has not been a sweepstakes year for us. In the past, it has been, but it's not been a big sweep, at least not on the varsity level. Now, I have novices that are placed in top three no matter where they go. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's encouraging to me for this program. But I was sitting here and I had three or four students here who were all duo finalists and one was the duo champion. So, you know, helping my two or three little duos that were here. So I was not, <laughs> I was not, I was like, oh, yeah. That's yeah, buck up, Jackie. Buck up. You're fine. 
that's that's pretty good. Yeah, so, I guess. But still, but I don't, I can't dwell on that. Mm-hmm. And I can understand, you know, the other people you've talked to, because sometimes that can be overwhelming. And I think no one knows your legacy. Other people know it, but you can't sit here and, well, I've done this and not. No, it wasn't me. It was these kids that went out there and I just was there in the background pushing and wouldn't let them, you know, they stumble and I picked them up again. Yeah, but that's a big job. It's a yeah, lot. Yeah, that I've done a lot of picking up. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah. So, um, in the world of interp, are there any trends that you're really excited about? Uh, like I mean, like you mentioned in drama, things change. Are, are there trends that you like, or trends that you don't so much like that we're seeing a lot of? It has been interesting to watch drama for one, because I remember in 2008 when we had multiple. Was the, really the last year that we had. And then that's a plethora of multiple character dramas. And then in 09 is when it began to change to the monologues. And I think we're still kind of in the monologue or that type of thing. Uh, Same thing in humor. It used to be that you had all these multiple character humors, which people still have. But you're seeing more of a character change, you know, where you may have like a stand up and then they have some other little monologues going on inside of it. What I like personally, is Poi and Info. And the reason why I really like Poi and Info, because there are students that are so strong with book events and they should go to college and do these events. Then uh, all of a sudden, an interpreter wouldn't know how to use a book. Then they would learn, but they didn't know how to do it. So now that we have Poi and Info and they are event, their main events, more of those students that are book event students are having an opportunity to stand on stage with those who haven't had books for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is interesting to watch uh, what is happening and what's evolving with Point Info. Point Info have been around for years on the college level. And I think that people assume that, at least some people assume that with, it's going to be interesting. I won't say anything about the assumption. But how these events develop in the next three or four years, they become fine-tuned. I remember when Duo came into play and we just, you know, the students just stood there and and spit lines at us. And, you know, it was really totally on the interp aspect. Now they're all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, and on the floor and walking across the stage. And some students are leaving the stage, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And it is accepted. It is accepted. And that's the reason why I'm appreciative that when we do get to travel the national circuit, that we actually they get an aspect because my students, the students, it's not a big thing to do that in Missouri, unfortunately. And when I try to branch out and go places, it's it's a battleground. But I think that's part of the reason why my students have been so. So able to branch out and do some things and been on that forefront of what's happening, because. If you don't go anywhere, then you don't know. I mean, it's one thing to watch a national tape, but to sit in that room and be in the atmosphere, it's like a sporting event. When you're actually there in the atmosphere of all of these people that are, you know, that have qualified to the national tournament, it creates an entirely different, to me, zeal for the program and enthusiasm. So that's kind of what I do. So you're saying you guys will sometimes push the envelope in what's quote unquote allowed? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's coaches like me who love that. 
What yeah. do you say? To, what do you say to the coaches who say, "Well, you know, change for change's sake," or like, "Don't step outside the box"? Well, I I think what is happening is now uh, we have a Speech and Theater Association of Missouri organization that meets in September, and more and more of us are teaching at that convention, and I think it is allowing the more traditional coaches. And those that uh, are still doing, I don't want to say still doing duet because that sounds tacky. Hmm. I mean, they are still not up to, you know, they're not progressive. That it allows them to do and actually see, because I had a coach ask me when we were talking about Poi. He said, well, do you do that? And do you do this, blah, 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 or even an event like poetry. I mean, I've been doing programs since 09. One of my national champions was the first person to me that did a poetry program uh, in 09. And so, and it was in the final round. So to create that again in college, they've been doing it for years. So I think that as students are crossing over, it gives them that opportunity. Yes, I I always push the gamut. I just am. Because I can't, nah, I just don't, I can't be the traditionalist. Well, I think I ever have been. And it works. I mean, the trophies yeah. behind you will, it, it, it works. So mm-hmm. I love and that, that element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, do you have any advice for a coach who may be a little skittish about interp? Maybe they feel stronger in speech, but aren't good at uh, working with kids on interp. I would say, don't be afraid. And to go ahead and get under the wing of some coach in your area who is good, if you want to use that term, that you trust and interpret. Uh, rather than possibly sitting in a lounge and chit-chatting about whatever, go and watch rounds. Watch the final rounds of those events uh, that you're not familiar with, that you're not comfortable with. Uh, I also would not take on too much. Try maybe the book events. You know, you can't bounce from the different types of debate and the speaking events. And all of a sudden you take on an entire program. I think that's, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure, but pick an event or two that you feel comfortable. If drama and humor are too difficult and you think requires too much, then study that for a year or two. Talk, but especially I was mentored by a woman didn't even know she was mentoring me. And I sat there, especially with my small amount of experience I had in doing this. And I watched her over and over for years. And we would always sit in the tabulation room at the district tournament. And she would say, I would say, okay, here you go. And she'd say, not yet. And I said, yes, I understand. <laughs> and that's the way I am. Uh, I don't, even though I could have somebody, even when my boys won in 2010, the duo, which was the Wiz. And I sat back and I said, and they won every tournament they went to, including nationals. But I still said, until it happens, then I am not going to be so, okay, well, I know, no, that's not the way I am. And that's the way I teach my children. Even those students that have been so successful this year or any year, until it happens, because there's always somebody out there that's better than you. You may not meet them. You may not meet them until the final round. But there is always someone out there that just by the luck of the draw is going to be better than you. And you have to prepare yourself 
for that. So to that coach that's afraid, you can't be afraid and do what we do. We have to be willing to step out there for the kid. It's not about us. It's about these students. Because if we're afraid, they're going to be hesitant. Mm. So go ahead and step out there. Learn one event at a time. If all you do is decide, I'm going to try. Because even to do poi is not, <laughs> it is not easy to do. I think some people do. We decided in our area that we were not going to even do poi and info with novices. It was just too, at our novice tournaments, it was just too much. Especially, I mean, some people try to say that an info is a watered-down oratory. I don't believe that. Not at all. Nope. You know, and I can teach a novice to do an info more easily than I can teach a novice to an oratory. They come under two different gamuts uh, of information, I guess I would say. But, I mean, like last week we went to a tournament. Our students had to do a poi, and I was like, are you kidding me? We haven't done this all year. But then we won first, second, and third. I don't know how <laughs> it did. So, you know, so I was like, hey, that, that worked for me. But it was just, it was a weird experience. But, you know, and next year, but they'll be ready now. And so other students, you know, and it could change. We may decide to do poi in our area with novices. But then what happens to prose and poetry, as long as it's a state, and it's still, you know, a sub event in nationals. Mm-hmm. Even still do storytelling around here. You know, so and some people just get those events ready to go to to, you know, as sup events at nationals. No, we do it in Missouri. Hmm. We still have tournaments, many tournaments, especially on the novice level that have prose, poetry and storytelling. So but tell the coach, just pick like one or two events at a time and try those and get some students out there and and see how it goes. Even if you just have one. To try and learn and then really you're learning together. And that's the best way I think I, that's the best advice I could give a, a new coach in this arena. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This is like therapy for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, quick question that just came to mind. On average, how many categories do your students do at a time? They can only compete in two at a time. Okay. So I have some that by the time they're seniors, the most I've had a student do was four. And and we have gone to Dallin Catholic High School's tournament in the past. And so I may have a student that's done, mom, I don't think that she took four. I think she took three okay. because you can compete in that. But normally they're working on two. I have a student right now I know has three. But most of the time they, you know, they're working on two events at a time. Awesome. Do you have a favorite category to work on? Oh, mine is drama. Yeah. Mine is definitely drama. And they these may be two questions or maybe just one, but do you have a favorite forensics memory and or a favorite accomplishment that you've had as a coach? I I would say I have a lot of memories, of course, but uh, and I even asked my kids, I was like, do I have a favorite memory? Uh, I would say a favorite memory for me is when I went to nationals about 2003, maybe. I think that was the Charlotte year, whatever was the Charlotte year. And I took a young man who was squirrely as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior. I sent him to George Mason to camp and he had done humor for three years. Okay. And he came back, learned all about HI, came back home and told me he was going to do DI. I was like, what? Are you serious? (laughs) Well, the one thing that that to me 
larger camps teach you is that you can do any event you want to. So he ended up doing drama and it ended up getting fourth at the national tournament. (laughs) The first national finalist. So I'm kind of like, okay. And what that taught me though, but I didn't know what to do. I never had anyone in Sims. When I first started coaching, I had the dry 90s. In the 90s, no one qualified to nationals. I had state finalists. I had state people going to state every year. Now this kind of stuff. But my mentor was qualifying everybody to nationals. Mm-hmm. So it ended up with me. He was the first one. He wasn't the first one to go, but he was the first one who actually got to the stage. And now I know what to do. You know, because it's just like you teach kids that when you get to finals, it's different from semis. To me, the hardest round is semis in any tournament. Because most of the kids, by the time you get to finals, who cares what you get? Right. It's that getting the finals round. So for him, when it happened, I was just like, okay, I was just, I was probably jumping and more excited than he was. And it's not that I'm still not off the chain crazy with it. But it's just that I now know how to get them and what to say to them when they're going into that final round. I had no clue what to say to him. And he went in that final round either in second or third. And, I, you know, he didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And he got fourth. But I don't care. He still got fourth. Right. So that is a favorite memory for me because that was the beginning of this journey right now where I am now. Now, as far as accomplishment, I would say that happened when in 2010, here in Kansas City, that was another thing. We were at home. Yeah. Both times I've been at home, it has just been, it's been a good tournament for us. And in 2010 is when uh, I had a young man that actually went in puff to the tournament. Okay. And he was, he was a forensicator, but he also did debate. He went to the tournament in puff, didn't make the break, decided to do poetry, and then he won poetry. So that was, I mean, we didn't even know he was, I didn't even know the boy was in finals because I was at the national tournament watching DI or watching something else. I was watching something else. And then he came in, he said, uh, yeah, I'm in finals of poetry. I said, what? And then he won poetry. And then also I had the duo win. Duo. So I would say, as far as accomplishments, that was the best one for me. That was a good year. That was good. But one other thing, too, was that I guess that when Scott called me last year and asked me to be the co-MC, that was a personal moment. Yeah. I mean, to be able to stand up there on that stage and represent women. I mean, that's what I was thinking about. All the women that do this activity, you know, say those lovely names I had to say. Mm -hmm. And but still, that for me was a was a personal moment. So that was accomplishment as well. Will you do that again this year? Well, we haven't talked about it, but okay. I'd, I'd be honored to do it again. Well, hopefully they're listening. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say to our listeners or anything you want to plug or somebody you want to shout out? Well, I would say, you know, to all of those, especially uh, I'm in the Show Me District and we're getting ready to do our thing here in Missouri. And I wish best of luck to all of the competitors that are going and to those that might be discouraged, there will be a better day. If they hang with this activity long enough, there will be those students that will bring you the joy and the excitement 
that many of mine have given to me. And so until another day, best of luck. I love that. Thank you so much for this. This has been just wonderful. Thank you. And I hope that uh, we get to bump into each other at National sometime. That would be great. And I know my co-host, Melissa, after she listens to this, is going to just be so upset that she couldn't chat with you. So she will probably run up to you. She wears very bright prints and often they have cats on them. So if, if somebody, if somebody dressed like that, comes up, yeah, she will. She will. So thank you so much for giving the time. And, and I hope we get to chat again sometime soon because this has been wonderful. Thank you. And bye-bye. Goodbye. Forensics Faces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. Special thanks to Steve Shapaw and Dino Pape of the NSDA for connecting me with the folks featured in this series. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. The more we're reviewed, the easier it is for other people to find the podcast, and we want more people to find the podcast. More information is available at www.forensicsfaces.com, and you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Forensics Faces. This is Kurt, encouraging you to listen, think, and speak, preferably in that order.